for being here today as we continue this study under the general heading 2020 vision in 2020. I want to be able to see well, don't you? I want to be able to see clearly. I want, I'd like to see clearly this way through these eyes, but I'd much rather be able to see clearly this book and understand it and have good 2020 vision spiritually and really that's kind of what we're after and what we're talking about this morning. Last Sunday, if you recall, we focused on the bronze altar that's represented there at the um, the entrance to the tabernacle. If you use your imaginations, the um, the barriers there, the railings we have there are are to kind of give you the the um, uh, impression of being able to walk into the tabernacle of the Old Testament. When you did that, if you had done that in the Old Testament, the first thing you would have seen when you walked into the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was a tent. It, it was portable. It was movable. You could tear it down and set it back up with relative ease as the children of Israel traversed and and went out through the wilderness for 40 years, wandering here and there and moving from place to place. As they were led by the Lord and went at his direction, they would tear this tabernacle down, go where he sent them, set it back up. They would worship there for however long they were there. And then that would be repeated. So the tabernacle is a, a temporary place of worship. It was built as a tent. It could be moved, transferred from one place to another. And so as the tabernacle was set up and all the children of Israel would set up their encampments all around it, as the Bible tells us, then they would come to worship. When they did, when they walked through the opening, the, I will enter his gates. When they entered the gates to the tabernacle, the first thing they saw, it was, it was, you couldn't miss it. As I've explained, the tabernacle complex was no bigger than this building is the footprint of this building so when you walk through that gate 
you first saw the burnt altar there right in your face. You couldn't avoid it. That's for, um, that was intentional, I'm sure. As we saw last week, as we could go to the uh, slide, please, that shows us these things. Um, if you guys don't mind, kill the lights on the back a bit because it's washed out for me. I can't see. And there we all oh, that's much better. If you need them later, you can cut them back on, okay? But as we look at this this uh, artist rendering of the tabernacle, you can see there was a, a curtain there or a gate that people would go through when it was removed. And there's a priest standing there just inside the gate, I suppose, to welcome the people as they were to come in. And the first thing you see there is the burnt altar. Um, where sacrifices were offered. We talked about this quite a bit last week. And I just want to share with you today how important, how prolific, how massive that this teaching is that we're doing now for the next five weeks counting today. Um, it's, it's, not a, um, it's not a little blip on the radar in the Old Testament. It's major in the Old Testament. This particular concept, the tabernacle, the burnt altar, the laver, which we'll be focusing on today. It's talked about in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and in those passages, major. How many have ever read through the Bible? If you've read, you, you'll, you'll almost think, why do they keep saying this over and I keep reading this same thing over and over, these same instructions. And it's God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's there for a reason and its importance and the place that it occupies in the Old Testament is a major role. And so even farther than that, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, where it's talked about in massive passages, in Kings and Chronicles, you see it repeated over again. So this is not a, a little passing thing that's insignificant. We certainly are not wasting our time trying to understand this. In the mind of God, I believe this was a visual aid, something he was using to teach his people, something they needed to understand. It was required that they understand some of this before someday some of them who were willing could recognize and accept the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on a cross for us. Because it all points back there, giving us the foundation, the ABCs, as we talked about last week. Before you can write paragraphs and stories and novels, you have to learn your ABCs. And the Lord started out with this. This was what he wanted them to see. He wanted them to experience this. He wanted them to participate in this. He wanted them to understand the why this was there. And as you will recall, as we read the scripture, we won't take time to read that same one again today. But the Lord gave meticulous, precise, calculated, intentional directives and decrees about how he wanted this built. He gave them the measurements. He gave them the positioning of how he wanted it placed in the tabernacle. Everything had a purpose in the mind of God as he communicated this plan to Moses. Where? On the mountain. As Moses was up on the mountain 
in the in the, the thunder and the lightning and the, the people of God were looking up there in terror and in fear, wondering what was going on amongst all that smoke and, and lightning and thunders and fire flashing. And, and he was there for 40 days was Moses on the mountain with God. And God was speaking to him, among other things about this, giving him these plans. And we know that because later the Lord says, now you go tell the people. And it communicate to them what I want done. The same thing I told you on the mount. That's repeated several times in the Old Testament. So this is, this is a very important scenario. It's an important lesson. Uh, an important concept that we're dealing with here today. Last week we talked about the burnt altar. And as you would have come into the tabernacle. As you see depicted on the screen. There were animals Inside, Wouldn't that be a sight today if we had a couple cows and a sheep or two and a goat in here and they were, they were making their noises and doing the other things that animals do? Uh-huh. And then perhaps if there had been um, tied to one of these tables or one of these uh, poles over close to a, the edge somewhere, maybe there was a sheep tied up. And maybe the priest would come over and take this one and bring it over near the altar and spill its blood. And the blood was poured all around the altar according to the scripture. And then was perhaps laid on the table here and it was cut up and then put it on the altar where it was burnt. And there was a perpetual offering going on here, fire going here all the time. This was not a um, an unusual thing. It was not something that happened once a year. As a matter of fact, it happened every single day, many times a day. The Bible even tells us in Numbers 28 that it was a regular burnt offering. And I would like to read this particular passage because I think it speaks volumes about what this, this um, concept, this teaching how important it is to the Lord. I would say if something was important to God, it should be important to us. If God saw it important enough that he went to such detail in at least one, two, three, four, five, six books of the Old Testament and major passages deal with this, I would say it was important. Wouldn't you think? And so we read this passage in Numbers 28, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the children of Israel and say to them, now listen to the way this is worded. This is the Lord talking. My offering, whose offering is it? It's God's. The Lord says, my offering, my food for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to what? To me, it says, God is talking. That is, that's about as plain as it could get. This elevates the importance of what we're studying here to massive levels. The Lord is speaking and the Lord says, my offering, my food for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to me. You shall be careful to offer me At their appointed time. And then he goes on to say. And you shall say to them. This is the offering made by fire. Which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs. In their first year. Without blemish. The sacrifice has got to be right. Amen. 
Not just any old mangy sheep will do. It's got to be a, a perfect lamb without blemish. And now notice this. We're not talking about on the day of atonement. We're not talking about once a month. We're not talking about the day after they set up. Not anymore. It says, you shall say to them, this is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. Can everybody say regular? Every day. Every day this happened in the tabernacle. It goes on to say, the one lamb you shall offer in the morning. And the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. So there was a regular sacrifice in the tabernacle that took place on that altar in the morning and in the evening. We didn't even talk about that last week. Last week we dealt with the individual burnt offering of Leviticus chapter 1. When somebody came in and brought their sheep with them, their sacrifice. And they recognized that they were... Uh, in sin and needed atonement. And so they would bring the sheep over and it would be sacrificed on the altar, as I mentioned a moment ago. And the person who was sacrificing it puts his hand on the head of that sacrifice and slits its throat and spills its blood. And then the lamb is put on the altar and consumed there. And the Bible says that is for your atonement when you do that. So the Bible teaches us this lesson at the burnt altar, the the lesson of atonement, which is the spilling of blood for our sins. Because the Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die. God requires that sin be dealt with and the punishment for sin be taken care of. And so the Lord provides a way where they can bring the lamb and sacrifice the lamb to pay for their sins so they didn't have to pay for it with their own lives. That's a powerful lesson, wasn't it? Because one day... It was in the mind of God because the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. The Lord already knew what he was going to do and he had to give them the ABCs. Uh, uh, One of the prophets said it this way, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. He's teaching them a little at the time, the concepts of what they must understand before they can ever fully appreciate the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and him giving his life for us. And so as that process takes place, just think if you would, I'm just reviewing last week, every day in the morning and in the evening and throughout the day, people coming with their sacrifices, hundreds of animals, such a such sights and such sounds and such smells there would have been in the tabernacle. Think about that. Now, we'll leave that burn offering or burn altar for just a moment. And now we'll move to the next thing that we'll deal with today. And that is the laver. Some of your views may be blocked here from this. But the laver was was basically... A big, gigantic bird bath or a, this one was a swimming pool painted. Okay? And, and it held water. And you can imagine if you were slaying animals and cutting meat and doing all the other things there and, and there were shovels, the ashes had to be carried out and more wood bought in and oh, what a process this was. It was not pretty at all. 
there was nothing clean and sanitized and all the, the, the sanitation people from the state would have had a field day in there. Because it would not have pleased them at all. That, that's, I'm trying to impress how unpleasant it would have been to have seen the sights, smelled the smells, and participated in that. It was a hard lesson, but it was a lesson the people needed to learn. And then, obviously, if all of that was taking place there, you needed somewhere where you could clean up, right? So then you could come over to the laver that was designed for the priest, and they could wash their hands, and they could wash their feet, and they could go go back and minister some more, and they could come back. And everyone, all the priests who came in, they all had to participate in coming to the laver for the purification and the washing of their hands and feet before they began to minister to the Lord. Now, there's quite a lot that can be said about this today. And um, we're going to spend maybe talking some time about some aspects of it that you may have never considered before. I had never considered this before until the Lord spoke it into my my spirit. And I began to look at some things. I thought, wow, that's I, I know that's I know that's intentional. That's in there for a reason. I know it is. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. So we have first, when you come into the tabernacle, the burnt offerings on the altar there. And then when you come to the laver, it's um, for the washing and the cleansing. It also foreshadowed the washing and the cleansing that the Lord wants to do in our lives as Christians. Did you know he wants to clean you up? Amen. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Just because I find it interesting, let me at this point in time go ahead and mention to you the um, something that's interesting from the book of Kings. In the book of Kings, we're looking at a passage here where it's we're no longer worshiping in the tabernacle. But what came after the tabernacle? The tabernacle was movable, tear it down, set it up. King David said, it's terrible that I live in this beautiful fine house with ceilings and walls and the house of God is a tent. He wanted to make a house for the Lord, a temple for the Lord. So the temple replaced this. The temple was a permanent place for all of this to take place. So when the temple was built, everything that we're talking about here was duplicated in the temple. Where the permanent temple was and and there were walls and all kinds of things. But you know what? Solomon was the one who built that. And if you know anything about Solomon, he didn't cut any corners on anything, did he? And the temple set up is much more elaborate than this. There's still a burnt offering, but it's much burnt altar, but it's much bigger. There's still a laver. As a matter of fact, there's actually eleven of them. There's one thing called a sea. I'm going to read in First Kings chapter seven, verse twenty-three, and it says, "And he made the sea s e a of cast bronze, ten cubits from one brim to the other." So it's 15 feet across. This one was a big one. This one held from 
from uh, two to three thousand baths. Now, you, if you're inquisitive at all, like I am, I had to know how much a bath was. So I went back to a Jewish dictionary, and the Jewish dictionary says that a bath is equal to two gallons. So according to this passage of Scripture, this um, sea, we're calling it, because it was so big, I suppose, is why it, it got that name. It contained 2,000 baths. There's another passage that says it contained 3,000 baths. And I don't think there's a contradiction there because in this particular thing that was so big that held 5,000 gallons plus or minus some, based on what I'm about to tell you, there was a conduit that ran into that sea and also a, a drainage that ran out. And as they were sacrificing and washing their hands, this water was being replaced going up and down and that type of thing. But can you imagine? This sea, they called it. It was a humongous labor there in the temple with 5,000 plus gallons of water in it. Now, aside from that, the Bible says in verse 38 of the same chapter, Then he made ten lavers of bronze. Each laver contained 40 baths. So there were ten more lavers, similar to this one, spread out around and there was 80 gallons of water in each of those. There needs to be a whole lot of bath places when you're doing sacrifices on the scale that they were in the temple. Sometimes thousands a day. Just out of curiosity, again, I had to uh, Google yesterday, how much water does the average bathtub hold? And it was 80, the same amount that was in those things there. I love studying the word. But can you imagine this 15 foot wide sea, this big bird bath, gigantic, almost pool, and then 10 others spread out all around for the priest to come and wash. There again, I'll say to you, this is important to the Lord. The laver and the sea and all of that foreshadowed washing and it foreshadowed cleansing. Something that you need and something that I need. I need washing and I need cleansing. I'm going to share several scriptures with you. And I'd like for you to think with me as we look at these passages. First John 1 John 1.9 if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Aren't you thankful for that? And that's exactly what happened right here. He forgave sins. You laid your hand on that sheep. You identified, you transferred your sin to that animal. It paid the price and was sacrificed before the Lord. So the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Does anybody believe that? Aren't you glad about that? But there's an and there, right? And it goes on to say, not only does he forgive us our sins... What is a sin? 
is something you've done. You've crossed the line. It's a trespass. You've disobeyed a sin. If we confess our sins, the things that we have done, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But then it goes on to say, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'll suggest to you that that's the labor or corresponds to that. Because I will tell you right now, and this is an absolute fact, you, you know it by experience. We can prove it from the scripture, but you know it by experience. If in, if in 1960, that date just came up, that year just came up, doesn't mean anything. If you were born in 60 or got saved in 60, don't let it bother you. In 1960, you made your peace with the Lord. The Bible says if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's say in 1960, you gave your heart to the Lord and you prayed a prayer and say, oh, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. And, and you meant it and you were saved. After that particular event where he forgave your sin, is there any time now or any reason now for the rest of your days for you to ever go back to the Lord for cleansing? How many have experienced for yourself that there's a need to go back for some cleansing? Amen. So that brings us to the laver. What I'm simply saying is what happened here doesn't finish the job. What happened here just begins our walk with the Lord. And then we move from being forgiven of our sins to the place where the Lord wants to wash us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he wants to make of us a new creature. And, and that whole process there doesn't happen like that when you pray the prayer. There is some of this that happens over a period of time. As we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and other passages that I will share with you here. So as we read that passage on the screen, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, focusing on the burnt altar and to cleanse us or wash us from all unrighteousness brings us then to the laver. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying... Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, read this with me. You shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. Now, if you've got it in your mind and in your spirit because of the way you've been taught that holy or holiness is a bad word, you need to get rid of that today. Holiness is not a bad thing. And we can be holy. The Lord wouldn't tell you, you shall be holy if it wasn't possible. Does that make sense? So let's just dismiss this idea. There is kind of a, a, um, a way of thinking, a bent, a persuasion in our culture today that when it comes to the word holiness or holy, we just kind of shove it to the side as if that's an Old Testament thing. I want to tell you right now, God is a holy God and he doesn't change according to his own testimony. And he tells us right here that you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. It's a requirement. 
Just as much as having our sins forgiven is a requirement, us being holy like God is holy is also a requirement. Old Testament and new. The Lord, he means what he says, and we'll see that in just a minute. But the Lord says to them, you shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. 1 Peter 1 verses 15 and 16 says, But as he who is called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Would it be impossible for you to be holy in all your conduct? If the Bible tells you to be holy in all your conduct. Is it impossible? No, it's not impossible. He wouldn't tell you to do it if it was impossible. He says you shall be holy. In this particular passage, in the New Testament, he says you shall be holy in all your conduct. Y'all know what conduct is, right? I remember when I used to bring my report cards home from school back in those days, they gave you a grade for conduct. I don't think mom and dad cared about math, English, or anything else. I think the first thing they looked at when I got home was conduct. They wanted my, and if I got a, a B in conduct, I felt terrible. And that would have been good for me. I got some C's in conduct. Ronnie. Why is there a C here for conduct? And I'd have to explain myself. <laughs> conduct. You all know what conduct means, right? How many ever got a grade for conduct? I'm telling you right now, you're still getting a grade for conduct. It's not coming from the teacher, but it's coming from up there. You're getting a grade for conduct. I'm getting a grade for conduct. Let's say that. I'm getting a grade for conduct. And you are. So the Bible says, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And verse 17 goes on to say, and if you call on the Father... Who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Conduct yourselves or behave yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in what? In fear. Now I'll tell you that this is something that's serious enough. That we should be aware enough. That we have some fear of God in our hearts and in our lives about some of the things that we do that the Lord would not do. Does that make sense? He tells us very plainly, you just can't go through life doing what everybody else does. You can't think like everybody else does. You can't talk like everybody else does. You can't have the attitude that other people have. You can't ha use the language other people do. You can't do some of the things that others are doing. No, you as a Christian, as someone who is born again, you have to conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here, that is your whole life, in fear. Does the Bible tell us that we're supposed to fear God? Absolutely. I can remember a time when we did. 
I've shared this with you before. I can remember times we'd be in a worship service and people would begin to, to praise God and the spirit of the Lord would come down and it would be so strong, Ronnie. I'd be on my knees. Nobody asked me if I wanted to pray. Nobody gave an altar call, but I wouldn't be by myself. And we just all ended up on our knees because there was such a fear of God in that place. I'm going to tell you, fear is a healthy thing. It's a healthy thing. When I was very small, I used to fear what my dad or mom was going to do to me if I didn't do what was right. Was that healthy? According to Dr. Spock, no, but brother, brother Spock's missing the boat on this one. Because the Bible teaches us we're supposed to instill that in our children. Give them a reason to listen. <laughs> and that's the way it is with the Lord. There are some good reasons we need to listen to what the Lord says. We need to care what the Lord thinks. We need to get into his word and be aware of what is acceptable in his sight. Used to be a time when people did that. When people had a conscience. When they had things that would bother them. And if it bothered them, they'd take it to the Lord and and the Lord would love them and forgive them. And then they would say, I'm not doing that anymore. And they'd go away. Responding to the leading and the guidance of a holy God. Well, I'd like to go back to the altar for just a moment. The burnt altar. And I would just like to suggest it to you this way. At, at this place right here. Is where we deal with the nastiness in our life. Y'all know what nasty is, right? Here's where we deal with the nasty. And when you deal with the nasty, you need to come over here then and wash your hands when it's all said and done. So you can walk away clean. That's the idea about requiring people to go to the sink and wash their hands in restaurants, right? You may go to where a place is nasty, but then you go to a place where you can wash before you leave it and go forward to take care of business. Let's look at this, this um, shirt here. This is a friend of mine. I was his pastor in Lexington, North Carolina, Rick. And uh, Rick was about, uh, oh, I don't know. Rick was maybe in his 20s at the time. He and his wife, beautiful couple uh, that uh, began to attend our church. And Rick had this dream. He wanted to own a barbecue restaurant. And so in the last few years... He, his dream has come to fruition. He's opened a restaurant. He still has his other job, but he and his wife own this place. Joy and I were there a few months ago and stopped in to eat. And uh, I saw this, these t-shirts he had for sale, so I had to buy one. If you'll notice what it says, we cook with a shovel. How many of you know how to cook barbecue? They don't, they don't do it standing over a stove in a, in a kitchen. They do it shoveling ashes and firewood and they go in with these shovels and they, they take out the ashes and they throw more wood in there and they cook 
And it's not a pretty place to be. But boy, the product sure is good. It says we cook with a shovel. If you had gone to that altar where they were offering those sacrifices. Anybody in here besides me ever cooked on one of those pig cookers? Do they get dirty? Is it hard to clean them up? Man, I've tried cleaning some of them. I think, good grief. There's grease everywhere. You got to scrape the gunk off the grills. And, and that's the way it is. This, this, what's happening at that, at that place right there, that altar, that burnt altar, it's not pretty. It's dirty. And so the laver was the place where they could go and they could wash. But it meant far more than that because it has implications from us or for us as well. We sang a little earlier in the service today, are you washed in the blood? I'm going to ask you one more time. Do we need any washing in our lives? That person who in 1960 said, Lord, please save me. Should that person have at any time since 1960 gone before the Lord for cleansing and washing anymore? Absolutely. If they haven't gone since then, I would question their sincerity, and their walk with the Lord. May I say to you, before we proceed with this next um, section of scriptures, we often love to be able to invite people to pray the sinner's prayer. Amen? Whatever wording you use, as long as you, you, you acknowledge that you're a sinner and you acknowledge that that you're sorry for your sins and you invite Jesus into your heart and you ask him to save you and it's your full intent to follow him the rest of your life and be a Christian. If you pray that type of prayer and you pray it sincerely, the Lord will save you. If you believe that, say amen. 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 I believe he will. But I want to tell you something. If I were to hand you those words on a card and you were to read those words... But it wasn't coming from your heart or you did not follow through with what you just said and actually follow him, follow him. I noticed when the puppets were talking about that this morning, they read the scripture that talked about following him. That's big. That's big because saying what's on the card doesn't mean a thing if you don't follow him. The words, the prayer is ineffective if you don't follow him. Jesus said to the disciples, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. Many different places Jesus would say, follow me. He would also say things like this, why you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say. There's an inconsistency there. Don't call me Lord if you're not going to do what I say. So along with the the being Saved comes also walking with the Lord and being obedient or being a child or following him. So as we understand that process, then I'd like for you to listen to this prayer that absolutely proves beyond a shadow of a doubt. Some people say, well, I asked the Lord to save me in 1960. I don't have to repent of anything else. 
people came to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus said, sure. And so we have, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really our prayer that he gave for us. The, the Bible that I use here has the heading, the model prayer. It's a model prayer. And that's what Jesus was giving. He was giving a model prayer to teach us how to pray. Teach us what to pray about. So Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray. And he says, and when you pray, say, our father in heaven, hallowed be their name. Hallowed be your name. In other words, you're saying, Lord, I know you're God and I'm not. You're, you're high above me. You're the creator. I'm the creation. You're the shepherd. I'm the sheep. Lord, I take my cue from you. You are higher than any other. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Lord, I want you to rule and reign in my life. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I, I just trust you so much. Whatever you will, whatever you want, that's what I want. Give us day by day our daily bread. It's obviously a daily prayer. You know what? We live in a country right now. We don't, we don't pray that much, do we? When's the last time you prayed for, for food for today? I don't mean thanking the Lord for it. I mean praying there would be some. That's foreign to us. Most of us don't have to do that. Give us this day our daily bread. Many times they did. They didn't have pantries and refrigerators and, and all kinds of things to, to have a year's supply of food in the house somewhere. And many times they had to pray that and it had to mean it. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Like the manna. Many times it came one day at a time. Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. He teaches us to pray that way. It's a daily prayer. And then the next thing he said was, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Even Jesus in the Lord's prayer indicated there was a reason for us to come before him from time to time, in this case daily, and say, Lord, forgive us our sins. If I have missed it, if I have, listen, <laughs> there's a lot of things the Bible would call sin that we gloss over. There are things that we, we say, there are thoughts that we have that really we should be convicted over and we've done them so long and we've ignored the Lord and now they don't bother us anymore, but they still bother him. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But the point is, there is forgiveness that is needed after 1960 at the burnt altar. We go back and revisit a forgiving God, a wonderful heavenly father. And so the apostle Paul said at one place, I die daily. In other words, I come to the place, not just that time, but every day I come to a place where I have to, I have to, one translation says, I pummel my body and bring it into subjection. My body, my flesh wants to do things and desires things that I know should not be. And he says, I have to force my body, the flesh, to do what I know the flesh needs to be, to do. 
in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Into subjection to what? Into subjection to the will of God, to the word of God, to what's right. Because we just can't go willy-nilly through life doing everything. If it feels good, do it. That'll get us in big trouble as Christians. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I've circled that whole sentence there. I myself should become disqualified. I'm going to suggest to you that Paul would not have said, I myself should be disqualified if I don't do this. He wouldn't have said there was a concern about being disqualified if it wasn't possible to be disqualified. Make sense? Let me keep going here. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That takes us back in our minds to the burnt altar. A sacrifice. But in this case, for us, he doesn't require a dead body on the, on the altar, but he wants us still to sacrifice ourselves a living sacrifice. And then it goes on to say, what's next after a living sacrifice? Holy! There again, we've got to get rid of this, this thing in our minds that Causes us to think that holiness is something for weirdos. People who believe in holiness, well, they're, they're just fanatics. They're, no, they're biblical. Now, defining holiness might be a different issue. But the Bible says that God is holy. We're supposed to be holy. We offer our bodies a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. Let me ask you this. Is everything acceptable to God? Absolutely not. It is not. Let me ask you this. It goes on to say, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. 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 Does that sound like to you? Is anything that we're supposed to be doing as Christians? Absolutely. And then it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I'll submit to you again, that is not instantaneous. Being transformed is not instantaneous altogether. Being conformed is certainly not instantaneous. It is a process, which we'll give more attention to in just a moment. But it is something that's supposed to be happening in our lives. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now we're reading about the church. Could everybody say church? That's us. You understand the church is us. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's speaking to us collectively. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. How many know God wants a clean church? So the Bible says that he wants to sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word. If you want to know really the ultimate of what we're talking about here, here it is. 
This is our guide. This is the water. This is what brings transformation. This is what allows us to be conformed into the image of God's Son. It's this right here. It's the Word of God. He wants to sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. You know, and and it's a sad thing. If polls are true, if surveys are true, it's like 2% of Christians read their Bible outside church. And if it's this book and understanding this book that actually separates us, washes us, cleanses us. Remember the washing of water by the what? Washing of water by the word. Washing of water by the word. It's like you can put all the clothes you want to in your clothes washer and you can close the door. But if there's no water going in, your clothes going to come out dirty just like they went in. Am I right? It's the washing of water by the word here. If there's no word, there's nothing happening. You can try as hard as you want. The flesh will eventually win out. You have to surrender yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, and then the word of God, which helps you be conformed and transformed into the image of the son of God. The word of God is so very important. And don't you know that it breaks God's heart that 2% of Christians will admit to reading their Bibles outside of church. Wow. He wants to do all of that, sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of water, by the word that he might present her to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. How many of you did something similar to this today before you came to church? Right? If you did, would you raise your hands? Yeah, we looked in a mirror. Yeah, we wanted to make sure that there were no blemishes and and, and, you know, no crazy things going on. You know what we were looking in the mirror for. You don't have to be a model to have a need to look in a mirror. And all of us were, were doing that. And the Bible says that he, he is trying to get us ready to be a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy and without blemish. So surely, surely, if we're going to get up, listen, I'll submit to you, you probably look in the mirror on Monday morning when you go into work, just like you do on Sunday morning when you go into church, right? Because you don't want to, you know, you, you just want to, I mean, none of us are, well, maybe some of you are, but, but for the most part, you know, none of us are, are beauty pageant winners. I know I'm not, but you want to do the best you can with what God gave you, right? So you look in the mirror. Yeah, we do the best we can. That's why we do that. Well, if we're going to, if we can do that with our appearance and we're that concerned about it before we walk out of the house, surely we ought to be looking into this 
trying to find out what it is that pleases the Lord. Because I'm going to tell you one thing. As we go through this life, our goal should not be pleasing each other. I would drive myself insane if I spent my time trying to please everybody in this building. I learned years ago. I don't even try. I don't even try. It is a lost cause. Because some of you want me to have a beard and some don't. (laughs) It's the truth. It doesn't matter what you do. Some like it and some don't. And that's a lesson I had to learn a long time ago. Quit trying to please people and just try to please the Lord God and you'll be a lot happier in life. Now, you won't always win a lot of friends and influence people, but you'll be in good standing before the Lord. I'll tell you that. And that's the only thing that matters. But that's what he expects from us. He wants us to to take a look at who we are and to examine ourselves and to... the, The good thing about this labor is that it's always there. For you to visit or for me to visit at any time. We can go before him in prayer and say, oh Lord, I feel so, I feel so dirty. I just really blew it yesterday. I just, the way I acted and the way that I spoke to that lady in the parking lot, that, Lord, Please, please forgive me and please wash me and please cleanse me. And and Lord, allow your Holy Spirit to put in me a, a spirit that is more patient and loving and kind. One that, one that mirrors your image, Lord, because I want to be conformed into your image, not mine. Somebody comes to you and they got some good juicy gossip on somebody else. First thing you want to do is jump in there and start talking it. I'll remind you what Jesus did. They brought to him a woman caught in the very act of adultery. And Jesus, boy, did he have every right in the world, biblically, I guess, to jump all over her and let her have it. According to the law, she deserved to be stoned. But Jesus, being the Savior that he is, he looked at her and says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. If we would spend more time worried about looking at ourselves in the mirror of God's word instead of looking at other people. Did I really say that? Yeah, I plan to. Because I've got an illustration here I want to close with in just a few moments. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Now, this is Jesus praying. This is a prayer. John 17 is a long, the longest prayer that Jesus ever prayed that's recorded in the scripture. And he, Jesus is praying and he's praying. Do you know who he's praying for? Praying for you. 
and praying for me. And Jesus asked the Father, he says, sanctify them, that is, separate them and cleanse them. Pull them away from the world and for every, from everything else so that they can be different, so that they can be holy, they can be white, they can be without blemish, they can be like, like the Son of God. He says, sanctify them through your truth, and we come back to the same thing again. Thy word is truth. It is a sin that 2% of the people are reading their Bibles. It's a sin. How in the world can we ever know what God requires of us? Just about everybody in this building has had at some point in your life an occasion to hear a preacher and wonder, is that right? Well, the way to find out is open your Bible and check it out. Follow along. Read the word. And then if you still don't get it, go ask him. But you, you know as well as I do, there's all kinds of voices and all kinds of messages being circulated, aren't there? And it's only the ones that are in alignment with the word of God that are going to be life-changing and bringing glory to God. So we have to be careful what we believe. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Did you notice it did not say examine your neighbors? It says examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves by what this says. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, here's that phrase again, and I circled it in my notes again. The Apostle Paul said it about him, but now Paul says this one. He's, this time he's talking about the people. He says, unless indeed you are disqualified. Unless you are disqualified. And I'll say to you again, like I did a while ago, he would not have said we should be concerned about being disqualified if it was impossible to be disqualified. Would he? That would be a waste of time. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, and if our musicians would come, please, singers. In Matthew chapter 7, there is a passage of scripture that has puzzled me for years. I believe it, but I was always puzzled by it. And it's the words of our Lord Jesus, and here's what he says on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. If you believe Jesus tells the truth, would you say amen? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? We've cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, you don't practice the laws of God. You do your own thing. Sounds like to me in this passage, somebody's been disqualified. Does it sound that way to you? And they don't even know they've been disqualified until now. And they cry out to the Lord. But Lord, look what we did. We went to church. We did this. We did that. He says, depart from me. I never you. You who practice lawlessness. In Exodus 38, verse 8. I haven't told you this until now. And this, I believe, is very important. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that God told Moses to tell the people to build this burnt altar out of bronze. Some of the other translations say brass, but they would have used different terminology than we use. Same thing with this, with the laver. The Lord said, build it out of bronze. It's the bronze laver. And this verse of scripture gives us a really interesting fact. Exodus 38, verse 8. He made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. I'd like for you to just, I'd like for you to get this. First of all, this thing right here did not exist in Bible days. They had none of these like this. What they had was little pieces of bronze, like a bronze tablet. And they would polish it and polish it and polish it and polish it until they could get it as shiny as they could. And that was their mirror. A bronze mirror. That's all they had. But the Bible says, when they got ready to make the laver, all the women brought their mirrors and they melted them down and they made a laver. I don't think that's inconsequential. I think it has some importance. What do you do with your bronze mirror? You look at yourself. And to know that your mirror has been placed in this, it's, it says to us, you need to come to this place occasionally and look at yourself. This labor. If there's any, anything at all that defiles, or you, there might be, and you not even know it. So just in case, I'm going to go anyway. <laughs> and I'm going to wash in the laver. Sure. Because it's important. This is a process, though, I have to do for me. It's not my job to point at you and suggest that you need to do it. And it's not your job to point your fingers at somebody else and say they need to do it. This is a personal thing. Are you with me? Yes. 
because we're looking at our own lives. You see, I have, as you all know, ever since you've known me, 23 years, I doubt you've ever seen me come to church without glasses. I don't even get out of bed without glasses. The very first thing I do every morning before my feet hit the floor is reach over on the table next to the bed and grab my glasses. I've been doing that for 55 plus years, I guess. I wear glasses every day, every waking moment. You know why? So I can see. <laughs> right. And they work. They work fine for me. But listen, when I need to see far off, I have to use something else. Then I use these. Wow. Far off, I use these. I'm finding that as I get older, I'm getting a lot like mom and dad in some respects. Sometimes I need one of these <laughs> to see something close, right? But what I need, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. You make your decision about you. But what I need more than anything else is one of these. The Bible, did you know, talks about the Word of God as being like a mirror? We, we open the Word of God. And we look into it. But the wonderful thing is, it begins to look into us too. Not only does it begin to look into us, it begins to speak to us. Speak to us about our thoughts and our attitudes and what we hear with our ears and what we see with our eyes and what we say with our lips and how we act and what we do. Oh yes, the, the Bible is like a mirror. A man looks into it, the Bible says, as like an open glass. You see yourself there. And then you say, oh God, I need help from you. That's what... This whole process that's revealed in the Old Testament is about coming in and dealing with sin and being washed and cleansed and transformed and conformed into the image of the Son of God. And then next week we'll deal with a couple of other things that the Lord wants us to understand. Take me past the outer course Into the holy place Past the brazen altar Lord, I want to see your face 
Pass me by the crowds of people And the priests who sing your praise I hunger and thirst for your righteousness But it's only found one place to stand Oh, take me into the holy of holies. Take me by the blood of the Lamb. sing that again, I'd like to share with you that we have some people today who have asked to be prayed for. Uh, some very situ- uh, very serious uh, health situations and concerns. And so in just a few moments, we're going to be having them to come and step right to the altar and, and we're going to be praying for them and anointing with oil. But in preparation for that, I'm going to ask you to do this with me. You know where the gates are to the tabernacle here. Right center. What I'd like for you to do, if you would, as we sing this, if you if you understand what the scripture says and and embrace the fact that that you have a responsibility to walk holy before God, not just to pray a prayer in 1960, but to be surrendered and to be obedient and to be changing and to be conformed. I simply would ask that you would show that to the Lord. Demonstrate that to the Lord by walking through the gates and past the burnt offering and past the labor and coming here where we're all going to join in prayer together. If you would do that as we sing this, we'll be in place when we're ready to pray. God bless you. Thank you for being here and hearing the word today. Take me past the outer courts into the holy place, past the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your face. Pass me by the crowds of people and the
those who have asked for prayer, please stand right up with your feet touching the altar so I know who we are. Okay. Others, if you would, come in close. The Bible says in the book of James that uh, if any are sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. And we are to anoint with oil and we are to pray the prayer of faith. And then the Lord will hear our cries and answer our prayers and save the sick and minister to them. So today, I know that we're praying for Leslie's father. Correct, Leslie? Has um, cancer. And uh, we're concerned about him. He's a, he's a jewel of a Christian man. He loves the Lord. But we're going to pray today for him. What's his first name? Harold. We're going to pray for Harold, that the Lord would minister to him and bring healing to his life and and give him grace and strength, such a sweet spirit he has, and we're going to pray for him today. Would you join me in praying for Harold? Lord, in obedience to the Word of God, Lord, as Sister Leslie stands in for her daddy, Lord, I lift up Harold to you today. I plead the blood of Jesus over his life. And I ask, Lord, that you would minister to him as only you can. Lord, with the afflictions and diseases of this world, Lord, we reach a place where there's nowhere else to turn to but you. And Lord, we may have reached that place with him. But I know, Lord, that he's weary. I know that he's tired. I know that he's suffering. And I pray that you would minister to him. I pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in his life. Lord, we surrender to you today. He is a child of God and he belongs to you. And you're his heavenly father. Lord, I pray that you do not allow one thing to come upon him. Lord, accept only that that is pleasing in your sight. Minister to him, we pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that I feel right now. Thank you, Lord, for your power. Minister to this need, we pray. We surrender it to you. Lord, we're not going to be so bold as to tell you what to do. You know what to do better than we. So we surrender it to you, Lord. Oh, God, minister to my brother. Touch Harold, I pray. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Many of you may not know that um, Alicia's mom passed away a couple of days ago. And the service will be this week. We'd like to pray for the family. But also, Alicia has an uncle. His name is Mike. And yesterday, uh, he has uh, was a gangrene in a foot because of sugar and so forth. And did he have his whole foot removed? There, he, he had a surgery yesterday. Another one's coming. But he is uh, in such a state that he's hallucinating. And um, things don't look good for him at all as far as his life is concerned, much less his food. And uh, we don't know if Mike is a believer in the Lord or not. So we're going to pray that the Lord will minister to him and, and open up a door. And if he's not a believer... We want to be able to pray with him and invite him to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Anything I need to add other than that, Alicia. Thank you, Lord.
Lord Alicia standing in. Lord, for Mike today, we pray that you would minister to him. Lord, we, as you have told us to in your word, we anoint with oil. We pray the prayer of faith. We believe you with all of our hearts. The the hospital and the doctors are doing all they know to do. And Lord, today at this altar in New Life Church on this Sunday morning, we're doing all we know to do. And that is to pray and believe the blood of Jesus over his life. And ask you to minister to him. Oh God, you're a God that is able. You see Mike, you know where he is. Lord, right now I pray that you would minister to him. Oh Lord, prepare his heart. Oh Lord, allow him, Lord, the time. If he doesn't know you already, the time to to pray and to, to look to you. Lord, as his Lord and Savior, minister to him, we pray. We thank you, Lord, because... This is a group of praying people in this church, and we believe in the power of prayer. And Lord, we're surrendering this to you in full assurance you're going to take care of it for us. And we thank you for it. Lord, I pray that you would touch this family. Oh Lord, minister to this family, I pray. Lord, I understand that many of them may not know you. And Lord, through this service that's coming up, I pray that you would touch the heart of this pastor. Give me words to say and how to say them. Lord, that would cause their eyes to be opened and that they would willingly receive the Lord Jesus Christ into their heart and their life. Minister to them. We seek your help. We seek your favor. We seek your blessings. Today at this altar, we seek your face. We love you. And we do want to come into the Holy of Holies. Take me into the Holy of Holies. Take me by the such a sweet spirit here. I don't know about y'all, but when I walked through there today, it just hit me. And I imagine that's what it felt like in those times when you walked past the altar and you gave that sacrifice. And I don't know if this is what the pastor intended when he was setting these things up, but today I've been coming here a few years now, and this spirit this, today is, is greater than anything I've ever felt. And we've had some good services and some good spirits. So if you've got a request today, I'd put it up there because I feel like never before God is here to hear from us, and He wants to deliver us, He wants to give to us. In this church, we have a prayer request. Obviously, we want to continue to lift these up here that have been prayed for. But as we go around here, don't be afraid to speak up. Raise that hand.
because he's here. Brother. Family, yes. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? Ashley. Mother's brother. Yes. Our brothers. Okay, lifting up for her surgery on Tuesday. Unspoken. God knows it. The lost. Yes, definitely lift that family up for comfort. Anyone in the back there? Yes, we want to continue to remember Brother Billy. Family. Pastor. He has a brother that's in the hospital from alcoholism. Um, doesn't even know where he is. He's been in the hospital for several weeks now. And uh, I'd like for us to pray that the Lord would break that for him and give him a second chance at um, at life. And, and um, he's, he's in a mess. He doesn't even know he's where he is right now. Yes. And all of our military. Yes, we want to lift our military up. Yes. Brother. Yes, prepare those hearts that they would hear his word and also to comfort the family during that time. Anyone else? Uh, Sister Cheryl spoke to me before uh, church and also wanted to lift up Pete Combs. Uh, He's having lung surgery tomorrow at 10. um, And we're hoping and praying that there'll be no cancer found, that that he'll have a clean report once that's all said and done. So lift him up. Sure. I think that was... What's that? Mother. Yes, her mother. Anyone else? I lift our neighbors up. Uh, they reached out to us yesterday. They're going to be traveling back. Uh, his uh, father or mother, uh, they've called hospice in, and they thought they had a lot longer time, but it sounds like it's pretty imminent. Um, we don't know much about their faith, but pray that God would comfort the family uh, as they go through this. Um, they reached out to us, uh, and I, that says something to me, that they they want some support. Um, so we want to lift them up in prayers. If we would bow our heads here and let's lift these prayers to our Father today. Lord, we thank you for this sweet spirit that's here, Lord. God, as I said it, Lord, as I walked past that altar, Father, I felt the, just the, the urgency, Lord. Just an unction, Father, to, to fill your spirit, Father. And so, Lord, as we fill this sweet spirit today and folks have spoke up to offer these requests to you, Father. We are trusting and knowing, Lord, that the sacrifice that was made on the cross of Calvary. Lord, not the ones that were made years ago, but the one made on the cross of Calvary was made that each and every one of these prayer requests would be heard, Father, and that your will would be done in them. So, Father, we put them at the foot of your cross today, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would comfort those that need comfort, Lord, that you would heal those that need healing, that you would keep safe those that need saved. Dear Lord, that you would offer salvation to those, Lord, that are lost. But, Father, we leave it at your foot today, Lord, and we go rejoicing, Fathering, knowing that you're going to take matters into your hand, and we will see results, Father. Lord, we look forward to the praise reports that come forth, Father. But, Lord, we want to continue to worship you and praise your name, Father, for everything. For we give it all to you, Lord. 
In your name we ask. Amen.